ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast on location in Phoenix, Arizona, site of the NFL League meetings. Now, as Miles Simmons, my partner, and I record this on Wednesday, uh, March 29th, uh, the league meetings ended last evening at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel. So before Miles and I uh, get out of town, we decided we would record a podcast to sort of sum up what happened, including some interesting drama at the league meetings that you don't often see. And I've been coming to these things for 38 years. So, uh, and I'll explain that drama to you in a, in a few moments, but first we're later in the podcast, not video, only audio. We're going to have Rich McKay, the chairman of the competition committee to talk about, uh, one surprising, uh, I'd say, I I shouldn't say surprising, but one very interesting tweak in a rule that players are going to notice, and I do not think players are going to like. However, it's a tweak in a rule that I think is really necessary. But So we'll get into Rich McKay a little bit later in the podcast. Miles Simmons and I are going to discuss the following topics. Number one, the flare-up over the flex schedule. Surprising flare-up on Tuesday at the league meetings. Number two, Lamar Jackson, who's getting desperate, really needs someone to tell him right now, dude, no one is discriminating against you for being, you know, for getting injured a little bit. You're getting injured a lot. And that's the reason why this whole fiasco is happening. Aside from the fact that you don't have an agent. There's another team out of the Lamar Derby, Atlanta. I don't think they were ever really in it. We'll talk about that. The New York Jets will not be rushed into overpaying for Aaron Rodgers, and I believe they will not give a first-round draft pick that is without conditions. We'll get into that, too. Daniel Snyder should close the sale of the Washington Commanders within two months, I believe, and there is somewhere between a sigh of relief and a chorus of hallelujahs with all these owners who just want Daniel Snyder gone. The Roger Goodell contract extension should be done uh, within two months. Also at the NFL's May meetings, Uh, the Niners leave no doubt that Brock Purdy's their man. Mark Davis apologizes for his team stinking. (laughs) Pete Carroll plans to play three safeties consistently, and that means he thinks that Jamal Adams is coming back healthy at some point in 2023. And by the way, the draft is in four weeks. So, I mean, it's kind of, even though it's way overcovered, I don't know, Miles and I will talk about this, kind of feels like it's sneaking up on us a little bit. And the last thing we'll talk about is, you know, the short week games are not a good idea. And the NFL approved two short week games uh, for some teams to play. And what I find so hilarious about that is that Roger Goodell stood up at the meetings and basically said, oh, we, you know, the first thought we ever have is about the uh, health and safety of our players. Well, don't play two, two short week games then. You know, don't play two Thursday night games, you know, for teams. 
So those are all our topics. Miles Simmons, we had a few laughs here in Phoenix uh, as we get ready to depart. I know you have a very interesting takeaway because you were sort of in the belly of the beast when John Harbaugh, the Baltimore Ravens coach, was asked about uh, this report that nobody knew about that Lamar Jackson had asked for a trade. I want you to tell me the scene that that happened. And I want you to give the listeners an idea of what exactly it was like and what you saw in Harbaugh's face. It was really interesting because at these league meetings, there used to be a coach's breakfast and it's now no longer breakfast. Breakfast gets served after, but what they do is they put all the coaches at a single table in this little ballroom or conference room, whatever you want to call it. And so at John Harbaugh's table, I mean, there was a ton of media and I happened to be one of them. And I was pretty standing pretty close to where John Harbaugh was going to be sitting so that I could have my recorder and get everything that he was going to say, because obviously Lamar Jackson was the topic du jour of the AFC coaches. So when he comes in, just as he is about to sit down, basically, this tweet appears from Lamar Jackson. And so we're talking about 7.45 a.m. Pacific time, 10.45 a.m. Eastern time, presumably where Lamar Jackson is. And as this tweet comes out, it is literally just as John Harbaugh is sitting down. And so the first question he is asked is, have you seen the tweet and what is your reaction to it? as Lamar Jackson has apparently requested a trade. And he says it was as of March 2nd. And Harbaugh says, well, I haven't seen the tweet, but, you know, I mean, this is something that's just business. And, you know, I, I thought he handled it about as well as he possibly could have. And at that point, I didn't know if he really hadn't seen the tweet or if he had seen the tweet or not. But I come to find out later that he had not been prepped for that at all and so i think that that whole deal would have rattled a lot of coaches in that situation but when you're john harbaugh and you've seen as much as you've seen and you've been the coach of the baltimore ravens for over a decade and you've been successful and you've answered question after question after question i don't think things are going to phase you as much as they possibly can somebody else who would just be sitting down in that situation and might have been wide-eyed like a deer right that that was not john harbaugh in that situation and so he basically, I don't want to say totally brushed it off, but it kind of was that it is yeah. this is business, right? This yeah. is the business side of football. This is what this is. And I expect that all of this will get resolved and Lamar Jackson will be very happy to be back. And we will be very happy to have Lamar Jackson. And this is going to work itself out. And while we're all kind of standing, the reporters kind of looking at each other like, this is really going to get resolved like that. That, that, <laughs> that does not necessarily sound like where we are. So it was just a very, very weird and interesting scene there. Well, Miles, let's delve into that for a moment. And, you know, a lot happened at the league meetings, even though nothing happened at the league meetings, <laughs> you started to hear. And I asked every team that I thought quite honestly, not every team is going to level with you when you ask them that question. Do you have any interest in Lamar Jackson? Because clearly, clearly, the Ravens have engaged and tried to engage some teams in trade discussions over the last three or four weeks. And so my feeling is basically that in the conversations that the Ravens just from talking to other teams uh, with, who have quarterback needs that the Ravens did not get to first base with anybody. <laughs> there was what I would call from one team tepid interest. I found out what team it was. I talked to the coach of this team yesterday and which now would be Tuesday. And the coach of this team said, I am focused on a new quarterback, a drafted quarterback. I don't know when that is going to be, whether that will be in the first round or whatever. But, uh, and I think, Miles, I think the one thing that people I think are having a hard time 
understanding about this because anytime I explain it or anytime I talk about it, people are just not focused on that. And I do not want to be a broken record on this, but this coach admitted to me that if you're going to pay huge compensation for a quarterback and a lot of guaranteed money for a quarterback, you want to know what you're buying. And as he said to me, we don't really know what we're buying. And the reason is, as we've talked about, 34% of the last two the snaps in the last two years, Lamar Jackson has missed because of injury. He has started and finished one game in December and January collectively in the last two years. And so a team, this is why when Lamar Jackson puts out a tweet defending his own health, it's incredibly tone deaf, which and Lamar Jackson did put out a tweet defending his health. I don't understand what, what, are, you, what are you arguing about? You have not been there down the stretch of the last two seasons. Is it fluky? Maybe. If it is fluky, sign a short-term guaranteed contract, which the Ravens are willing to do. A two-year contract, fully guaranteed. They'll do it for market value. Do that. Do that. Yet that does not seem to resonate with Lamar Jackson, who just wants the long-term fully guaranteed contract. And Miles, I will leave here just thinking to myself and I I I wrote this in my column this week that I think it's time that the Ravens seriously consider their alternatives in 2023 if Lamar Jackson is not the quarterback and I know that sounds weird well what would Lamar Jackson do who would he play for I don't know but if the guy continually doesn't show up and keeps uh, saying that I want out and everything like that, he might show up on August 20th. I don't know. We don't, we just don't know. But the problem is what if he doesn't, you got to get prepared to play a football season in a very competitive division, easily one of the two or three most competitive divisions in all of football. So at this point, I'm getting my short list together if I'm Eric DaCosta, the general manager of the Ravens, and thinking about the future, at least the future in 2023 without Lamar Jackson. Well, I, I think at this point you have to. And that was one of the things that John Harbaugh sort of was trying to dodge when he was asked about it at that, uh, at that roundtable that I was talking about earlier. I mean, he was asked, you know, at what point do you have to start thinking about alternatives? Yeah. And basically he was saying, I'm not, you know, I, my, our plan is for Lamar Jackson to be our quarterback in 2023 and beyond. And we love Lamar and we love everything about Lamar, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same stuff that he's been saying. I mean, really going back the last couple of years since Lamar Jackson has been eligible for a contract extension. But I, I think there, there are a couple things that are really interesting to me here, Peter. And one is the, the roster construction element of this and trying to give significant guaranteed money to quarterbacks. So one of the other uh, round tables that I spent a lot of time at in the last couple of days was that of Kyle Shanahan. And so he was asked by somebody who was going around and I apologize to the report. I'm not sure who it was at the time, but it, he, he was basically asking, you know, are you interested in Lamar Jackson? And this was going on for a while. And so Kyle Shanahan at first says, well, I'm not allowed to talk about players under contract on, on other teams, which is a standard head coach answer that actually is wrong in that particular setting because Lamar Jackson is not, not under, under contract, contract with yeah. another team. And he's technically yeah. able to go and, you know, uh, discuss contract terms with other teams, et cetera. So Kyle Shanahan first said that, and then he's like, no. And then the reporters are no. And then it's like, okay, well, yeah, we're, we're interested in the three quarterbacks that we have in part because we like the salary cap structure. And this goes into something that he was talking about where they like that they have quarterbacks on low contracts so that they can build up a lot of their other elements of the team, right? Their defensive right. line where they, they signed uh, Hargrave, right? That's an important element to their team, and that's how they build it. So this is now a roster construction question. And if you are going to give significant guaranteed money to a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, then you're not going to be able to build up the other parts of their team like they have. So 
That's how the San Francisco 49ers are constructing their roster. And you can also say that about some other teams, right? Do we want to give significant guaranteed money to this particular quarterback that we don't know and who doesn't know us? And we don't necessarily know how that player is going to fit within what we do and all of those different types of things. Now, like, Lamar Jackson is a good enough player that, you know, if, if you say Lamar Jackson doesn't fit our system, then you might be running the wrong system, right? Like that's the kind of player you build things around, but at the same time, you still have to construct your roster to fit that. So that that's one element of this. Now, the other to me is Lamar Jackson is such an unpredictable actor that we really don't know what's going to happen next. And so when John Harbaugh was asked, do you believe Lamar Jackson will play under the franchise tender this year? He said, I don't know. And that's an issue for Baltimore. If you don't know, if you get to, let's say, July 17th, they haven't worked out a long-term deal. Lamar Jackson hasn't signed an offer sheet with anybody for a long-term deal. And the only, basically, the way that he's going to play is on this franchise tender or not. You know, like, what are we going to do? You don't know? That's a problem. And so that's why, as you were saying, Peter, they've got to figure out some sort of contingency plan where you have somebody with Tyler Huntley or not, I don't know, maybe you draft a quarterback in the second, third round that you feel maybe can develop. And so I, I don't know what it is, but there's gotta be some sort of contingency plan because you are dealing with an unpredictable actor in Lamar. Jackson. I think, I think it's going to be a veteran quarterback who's on the street. The alternatives are not great. I mean, that is probably led by, Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan, neither of whom will engender much hope. But but at some point, I mean, I I was explaining this as last night uh, I was with some NFL people, including one general manager, and we were discussing this. And when I brought up Carson Wentz and uh, and Matt Ryan, he had the same look that you just had. (laughs) And he said, no, no way. And I said, I just want to ask you this question. How would you like to go into a season with Tyler Huntley, your no doubt absolute number one quarterback? And if he plays badly, there's really no good alternative. You can't do that. And so I'm not saying that Matt Ryan is a great choice, but tell me what great choices do you have uh, in the spring when the quarterback market has been totally picked over. You don't. You don't. Yeah. So, and that is the problem that Lamar Jackson is leaving. I mean, be, before we leave this topic, I, I I mean, I hate the fact that it seems like every week, Miles, you and I talk about Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, and there's a lot of other things going on, and we're going to get to them. But I do want to say one thing also about Lamar Jackson. So, At the league meetings, the way it works is a lot of, first of all, the coaches meet for 30 minutes with the media and you try to bounce from one to another to get your questions asked. But then there are these little sidebar meetings. Like yesterday on Tuesday, I was one of eight reporters who sat with Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons for 45 minutes. And so you go into a side room and you sit there, there's Ken Belson with the New York Times, Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal, uh, D. Orlando Ledbetter, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, you know. So uh, Mark Maskey, Washington Post, there's some, a bunch of national people there, local people, all that. <clears throat> and in a very subtle way, Arthur Blank made it clear that the injuries are a factor with Lamar Jackson. And not, not coincidentally, not coincidentally, uh, Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, said that his quarterback for this year, his starting quarterback, is Desmond Ritter. So, in essence, when you when you say that Desmond Ritter is your guy, now you're out officially of the Lamar Jackson Derby. So that's the one other piece of news I think that came out of here. Scratch another team off the list. I cannot figure. I know Chris Ballard left it open that they would consider it. I mean, I I just, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, I do not see them 
giving the fourth pick in the draft and something else up as well as paying a gigantic contract for Lamar Jackson. I just, I don't see it at all. Um, but you know, the one, the one other thing that I think is, is going to be interesting to watch in the very near future, whenever the New York jets do, uh, finish their trade, uh, for Aaron Rodgers, And we're really not going to get into that other than to say, there's very little doubt among anybody that this trade is not going to get done. And the only thing I can add to it is that I don't believe that the Jets under any circumstances will give a first round draft pick that isn't without conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, probably a two this year, the Jets now have two twos after the Elijah Moore trade. So give one of those twos. And then in the future, uh, another pick that could become a one depending whether Aaron Rodgers reaches certain uh, statistical accomplishments or that he plays in 2024. And I think that's all. Is there anything else you know about Rodgers at this point? I mean, Rodgers is just such an interesting story because it's like there's not much to do other than say, well, Brian Gutekunst was talking about the fact that he couldn't get in touch with Aaron Rodgers. So apparently, you know, there's two sides to every story. You could tell he wanted to get that story out. He did. Yeah. And that's one of those things where maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't know. But there is, yeah, there was some element of I Brian think Brian saying, speaks the truth. Yeah, he got, he, ghost, he got ghosted by Aaron Rodgers. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to get ghosted. I've been ghosted plenty of times. We don't. That's not the story for the podcast. Anyway, I think that's one part of it. Matt LaFleur was talking about how. You know, he didn't have much to say about Aaron Rodgers other than he appreciates everything that he's done for the football team, for him, you know, as a professional and that. And then he said, again, we got to temper our expectations for Jordan Love. And Peter, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't really have any expectations for Jordan Love other than that he should look like a competent NFL quarterback. But I don't know what else. I mean, it's been years since he's been playing football. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he threw a couple nice passes last year when the end of those games. And I thought it would have been interesting to see him play if the Packers had been eliminated from the postseason, but they never were. So yeah. those are the two things that kind of stand out to me from this week when it comes to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. You know, Miles, let's get to our conversation with Rich McKay. And then on the other side, I'm going to tell you what, some kind of an awkward moment uh, Tuesday night at the meetings at a dinner where I was, you'll get a kick out of it. I think it was really, I, I mean, I, I'm not involved in it. So I'm, I think it's kind of hilarious, but we'll tell that story when we get back. But first Rich McKay is going to discuss uh, what passed and what didn't pass. Uh, muster at the NFL meetings as far as rules uh, and changes in one particular rule that I found fascinating. Players won't like, but I firmly believe it's for the good of the game. So let's get to Rich McKay and we'll see you on the other side. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. 
T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So with Rich McKay, the competition committee, and Rich, it wasn't a huge year for rules changes, but there's a couple that I want to ask you about, one of which I think won't get a lot of attention, but I think is kind of interesting because I think it'll get players' attention during the year. And that is sort of the impermissible use of the helmet. No one's going to understand this rule. I barely understand it, but explain it to me and explain how it came about. Okay. So we've been on uh, the journey with the helmet um, for a number of years, right? It's driven by health and safety. It's driven by our concussion numbers and trying to change player conduct. And so we came up with this use of the helmet rule, I don't know, Peter, seven years ago, whenever it was. And what that rule said was, you are not allowed to lower your helmet, okay, to initiate contact with a defender or, or a, a opponent, I should say. And we, we really felt like that action of lowering your head, meaning you're almost flattening your back and then delivering a blow, very dangerous, really accelerated the impact both to the player giving the hit and receiving the hit. Think of the running back in space that decides to lower his back. Think of the linebacker that decides to lower their head when they're going into a receiver. What we found was that players have adjusted. You're seeing less of that conduct for sure. Heck, we only had four called on the field this year. Um, But we had 55 total fines from that type of conduct. In those fines, many of those fines were not upheld because the technical language the player didn't do. He didn't lower his head all the way. But he used his helmet to tackle somebody with and hit somebody in the head with. So we took language from an old rule that had been there forever in the un- in unnecessary roughness, which says it's in- it's illegal to ram butt or spear an opponent. That's been there forever. We just haven't really called it, and we modified that language and put it into the use of helmet rule, and created this new rule called impermissible use of the helmet, which says two things: one, you can't do what you couldn't do before. You can't lower your head to hit somebody anywhere on the body, and number two, you can't butt with your helmet into somebody else's head. So you cannot create that um, force. Whether it's conduct. whether it's straight on or lowering the helmet. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. As long and the only thing we, we accept out is if it if it's just a glancing blow. I mean, we put in there. It's got to be forcible, right? But we had plenty of plays and we watched and we said, you know, we don't want that in the game. That needs to come out and. Very hard to call on the field, so don't look for some great, you know, oh, there's going to be a lot of flags. No, because the officials will tell you that the problem that we in officiating this type of play is there's so much going on. They're worried, they're worried about illegal blocks. They're worried about where the uh, ball carrier is going to go down or the receiver is going to go down. They're worried about is, is do they have the ball? Is there a fumble? So there's a lot of things they're looking at, and they have to see this one really clearly. If they do, call it. But if you don't, don't worry about it. We got it on Monday. We'll find it. And if we get repeat offenders, what we find is once you find somebody twice, they don't do it anymore. They actually stop doing it. So we can affect conduct, which is all we're trying to do. We're trying to get people from, it's really avoidable use of the helmet. If you can avoid it and and not deliver the blow with it, then you should. And that's really kind of what this language was driven towards. So you say you had only four of those calls last year, okay? But 55 fines on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, after looking at tape. Do you have a gut feeling? Will that 55 number go up a lot? It'll go up. I don't think it'll go up a lot. I think, it, you know, we looked at we looked at a bunch of plays. You know, with this new rule in that subparagraph B I discussed, this, this butt language, you can't use your helmet to butt someone. 20, maybe we saw 15 of those, 15 to 20, but... They're very severe hits. Yeah, they're big time hits, and and those hits need to come out, and that's what that's what this is for. Isn't part of this too the ability when you find somebody to actually have the fine taken from the player rather than players winning so many of those appeals? Not that you're trying to you know to take money from players, but if you find somebody for using the helmet illegally, you want that player to have to feel that. You do, because if he feels it, he'll change his conduct. And so will the players in his locker room, because they will discuss it. They know when those letters show up, and, and there's tape behind it and the like. And what's happened to us is if you just read the, the rule as it was previously written and you go word by word, 
then technically a lot of these were not uh, technically a foul under the old language. And we didn't like that because they were dangerous. In our mind, they were dangerous plays. And so that's why we made the change. We do this you know, every once in a while. And this one, this was kind of a big change uh, because of, of the, the fact that there's so much focus on, on the helmet and, uh, and how players use it. But we think it's absolutely the right thing to do, and so did the membership. Are there any rules that were changed that you think fans will notice? Because a lot of these rules that passed are really kind of administrative rules and they aren't really rules like you didn't change um you know the the punt rule where you you know the touchback comes out to the 25 you didn't change the kickoff rule yet but it sounds like you may change the kickoff rule in may can you describe what is what you see happening with the kickoff rule now what the discussion was like yeah the discussion was good right it started with the idea that um you know, health and safety has really, you know, been very direct to us, meaning competition committee, on, you know, the kickoff and, and the fact that the injury rates are high on the kickoff and the concussion rate is very high on the kickoff. So we really looked at the, at the college model and said, college allows a fair catch inside the 25. Why wouldn't we? Um, and we know right away special teams coaches don't like that. We get that. But, but that was, in our mind, the right thing to do. They raised a couple issues the coaches did that said, okay, we need to make sure that we're looking at the totality of the play, meaning what if there's a kickoff from the 50, okay, because there was a penalty on the, on the uh, scoring play and there, it's been uh, placed on the kickoff. What happens, right? If I fair catch it, do I get to go to the 25? That doesn't seem right. And so we said to them, you know what? You've raised some points. We just, all we did was really take the college language We'll go back, we'll meet with special teams coaches, and we'll, we'll create some amendments to the rule, and then we'll vote on the rule in May. Why no uh, correction of the rule about punts? I'm not sure, because in my mind, that's a very logical change that I think will happen at some point. Um, I've been on the committee long enough to know that when we did the kickoff um, and moved the, the, um, the line from the 20 to the 25, um, we should have done the punt. We just probably didn't think about it. Um, and so uh, I, to me, this is, a, this is one that should happen. I think people got nervous in the room of what's the unintended consequence? How is this going to affect the punt play? In our mind, there's no, no effect. It might maybe by an inch entice you to go for it on fourth down at the 40 as opposed to punting and having a touchback come to the 25, maybe. Uh, some of the coaches didn't think that would necessarily be the case. So it really isn't a health and safety proposal. In my mind, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, the one rule that was not on the agenda here that has gotten a lot of attention um, and fairness in questioning, I have brought a lot of attention to this, is the assisting the runner rule. And it seems to me, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about rules over the years, and sometimes as with the PAT. It takes a few years for people to get it in their heads, okay, there's a reason why we don't want to have the PAT to be an automatic from the two-yard line. So you push it out to the 15, and now it's a remotely competitive play now, okay? But why, in your opinion, did this not merit consideration to come up for a vote? Well, I, I think it did merit, from my opinion, it did merit discussion. But, but the way that we vote on things is simple. You get either a club proposal, somebody puts it up as a rule change proposal, or a competition committee proposal. The way we work in the competition committee is we've always said, we're not putting anything up that isn't unanimous. Unanimous doesn't mean that everybody supports Eight it. nothing. It could be six nothing with two abstentions. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. In this case, we couldn't get to that. Yeah. And so um, is there it, it, because I talked to one team that said what we don't want to do is sort of penalize Philadelphia for totally playing within the rules, doing nothing illegal. It just seemingly has kind of gotten out of control. And we see that it's kind of gone too far. But we think it would be penalizing Philadelphia. What was that sentiment like? Yeah, I didn't. It, we, Heck, I, Philly was brought up because of the number of times that they did it. Um, 
but they did it successfully and they did it with a with a big strong powerful quarterback and a big you know really successful offensive line um so i don't think anybody looked at it i, I it's not a, this is not a philly thing it is what does the future hold you know now you've gotten ways where you've come up with strategic way okay to push are you going to see more of these are you going to see more teams do it and um i just think that for now maybe to your point peter maybe clubs said hey listen we don't want to make this just about a one club rule uh i just i think it is something that we'll continue to look at is there injury data you're gonna you know there's what's the fan sentiment how does this play look um and and it's not the last time we're going to talk about it as someone who has watched football his whole life and been involved with football his whole life and me a little bit less so but there's some things you see that you say it's just not a football play and i i know that's very very arbitrary okay but when you look at it what do you see yeah i see a legal play under the rules um that um doesn't feel like um a play that if we were drawing up the game yeah. that we would say this is the way we want it and and that doesn't make it illegal but it does make it one that in my mind you want to talk about do we re- does everybody think we want this in the game and i do think that um philadelphia can't get enough credit for hey they first of all they took advantage of the rules secondly they have players that fit that not everybody fits that right um but it uh, it is something that i do think people want to talk about down the road Rich McKay, thanks so much for taking the time. Peter, thank you. Thanks for all you do. Okay. So back on the podcast, my thanks to Rich McKay. He did a little media tour yesterday after his uh, after the vote at the league meetings, and and I appreciated him taking a few minutes to sort of talk about what was really not a tremendously eventful uh, set of rules, uh, and and I do think that you are going to see the assisting the runner rule uh, discussion resurface throughout this season and then next year. So I'll explain to you a couple of things about the league meetings that are one of the reasons to me why I find them really, really valuable. So a few years ago, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I started to get an invitation every Tuesday night at the league meetings uh, to a dinner that was hosted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I covered Dan Rooney for a long time. He was one of those guys who, if I ever wanted to really take the temperature of how the league, the owners, the, uh, the commissioner felt about an issue, this is going back to Paul Tagliabue, I'd always reach out to Dan Rooney. And so we, I got in, started to get invited to this dinner every year that the Steelers do. And so Tuesday night, there was uh, a dinner, obviously, at the, uh, at a Italian restaurant in Phoenix called Tommaso's. Uh, it's an old time Italian. Uh, and so gathered in this room and I notice way across the restaurant there's another party there it's the new york giants dinner party there's 25 people or so brian dable john mara uh, joe shane the general manager a lot of you know the entire giants delegation is their wives and so you know interesting and i see john mara and the reason why i'm going to bring up john mara is because Something kind of uncharacteristic happened at these meetings. You don't often get uh, what I would call legitimate tension at the meetings. But I'm going to explain to you a rule that was considered in Phoenix here at the meetings that did not pass. And it surprised me it did not pass because at the reception, NFL reception, on Monday night, I talked to quite a few people who thought that the league was going to be able to get this uh, movement that they had, this agenda item passed 
that they would be able to flex one or two Mon uh, Thursday night games and take a game from Sunday and put it on Thursday night, you know, part of flex scheduling. As of now, obviously, uh, NBC is uh, able during certain weeks of the year to flex games uh, into Sunday night games. If their Sunday night matchup stinks, uh, they they flex these games into them. And now for the first time this year, ESPN is also going to be allowed to do that for Monday night games, which when you think about it, I mean, I guess it's fair, but you're asking somebody who's got a ticket to a one o'clock Sunday game to now go to a Monday night game. And obviously the logistics, the travel, that could be a problem. But last week we all heard about it when Sports Business Journal wrote a story that said the owners are going to be asked to vote at the league meetings to approve flex scheduling for Thursday night games. And my first reaction was, this is stupid. And I ran into a, an NFL executive who asked me Sunday, as soon as I arrived, or shortly after I arrived, what do you think of this? And I said, it's a dumb idea. And he was taken aback. I said, why? Don't you want to see the best games? I said, do you understand that? moving a game three days in the middle of the season, obviously you're going to be moving a game that has playoff implications, period. You wouldn't be moving a crap game into a Thursday night space. You're going to move a game with playoff implications. And maybe it's the second game this team has played this year on a short week Thursday night. And understand when people ask about, well, you know, it's inconvenient, yeah, but what's the problem? If you have a Thursday night game, you don't practice. You know, I think it was Josh McDaniels at the meeting said, you, you have to understand what it what in, is entailed with a Thursday night game. On Thursday night, you have two walkthroughs that week during the week. And otherwise, your guys are just in meetings and getting treatment, trying to get their bodies ready to play a game. And so, anyway, I thought it was a dumb idea. But... It was one of those things that if you understand the way the league works, Roger Goodell really wanted this to happen. And he wanted this to happen because the Amazon people wanted a boost and they wanted to make sure that in week 14, they don't have Atlanta, Carolina, or, and I'm inventing that, or, you know, Houston, Chicago, or, or whatever. They, they want to give, have some, insurance against a bad game in week 14 or 15. I understand it, but I don't think it's a good idea at all. But anyway, so that's the backdrop. And in the meeting on Tuesday afternoon, Roger Goodell got significant pushback on flex scheduling. John Mara, a co-owner of the Giants, spoke up about it. Art Rooney, who hosted this dinner on Tuesday night, sitting at a table with Roger Goodell, he opposed it. And so now I'll get to this dinner. So there's, I don't know, maybe 40 people at four big tables in this room, 35, 40 people in this Steelers dinner. And way across the way, the Giants dinner ends and they come in to say hello to everybody. So I go over to John Mara and I shake his hand and I said, I really like what you said, <laughs> you know, today. <laughs> and let me read you John Mara's quote. Here's oh, yeah. his quote. Quote, at some point, can we please give some consideration to the people who are coming to our games? People make plans to go to these games weeks and months in advance and 15 days ahead of time to say, sorry, folks, that game you were planning on taking your kids to Sunday at one. Now it's Thursday night. What are we thinking about? This should have been vetted with the health and safety committee. It should have been vetted with the competition committee. And it was not. They just tried to push it through. So he was ticked off. And so I shook John Mara's hands and he looked at me and he goes, I, I need to get out of here because he was eight feet away from Roger Goodell. Not that in any way that they would, you know, start a wrestling match verbal or physical <laughs> right there in the middle of Tommaso's 
this lovely Italian restaurant in Phoenix. But you could just tell that John Mayer was uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable, but unmoved and absolutely strident that it is a dumb idea. And I do think it's a dumb idea. And I talked to Goodell briefly about this, and he still thinks it has a chance of happening. And I believe you're going to see it resurface as a very hot button topic at the May meetings when the NFL meets for just, it's really like a day or a day and a half meeting. Uh, and I think the two big topics of that meeting are going to be the sale of the Washington commanders and of all silly little things, flex scheduling. You know, first of all, you could probably write another verse for Billy Joel scenes from an Italian restaurant with that story. <laughs> That's, that was really good, man. Uh, second of all, the, the press conference that Roger Goodell had, um, after John Mara had said what he said that you just read. And one part of it that you didn't read was that he said that this is abusive to fans. And so that part of the quote was read to Roger Goodell at his press conference, um, just after that happened. And Goodell said, basically like, yes, we have fans who attend games, but we also have millions of fans who watch games which I thought was just the perfect amalgamation of what he thinks of that. Like, yeah, you know, people are going to go to the games. Like people are going to figure out a way to either be at the game or not be at the game. And, you know, the money is going to be there. It's what it is, right? But they want to get the eyeballs on the games. They want to get as many eyeballs as possible on the games. And that is the overriding point there. And I tend to agree with Mara that this is not a great idea. I think logistically, it's an absolute nightmare for teams. It's a nightmare for coaches who basically, you know, plan every single day of the season before the season starts. Right. So even when it's a flex and it goes from one o'clock on a Sunday to eight o'clock on a Sunday Eastern, that that is a significant shift in some things in the schedule because that's just the way it is but there's already a plan basically for the way things are supposed to go throughout the season once the schedule gets released now if you take a game from a sunday and put it on a thursday or even if you take a game from a sunday and put it on a monday that's a significant shift in and of itself but going from a sunday to a thursday when you weren't expecting that toward the end of the year that's a huge huge shift and also i think for players you know, when guys go from a Sunday game to a Thursday game, things are dramatically different from the time the game ends on a Sunday until they start playing on a Thursday. Usually game ends on Sunday, you know, you do you shower, you do your media obligation, and then you leave, you spend time with your family. It's kind of low key, right? When guys are playing on a Thursday and they finish a Sunday game, they bring in massage tables into the locker room. And they start working on guys so that they can recover as quickly as possible. It changes things significantly. So I agree that it should have been vetted with the health and safety committee. It should have been gone. It should have gone through the competition committee. There's so many different elements of this that are not, hey, we need more eyeballs on Thursday night football that I don't think are being considered here. And so, I, yeah, that's it's very interesting. Excellent, excellent point. Uh, I think... I remember last year I did a piece of my column about Austin Eckler preparing for a Thursday night game. And particularly in this particular case, it was a Thursday night game that was halfway across the country in Kansas city. And I'll never forget. One of the things he, he said to me was on Sunday night after the game, they had just finished as you described very, very well he was getting worked on until nine or 10 o'clock at night after uh, a 1 PM game. And that is the kind of stuff you try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again in a very short period of time. Uh, and I totally agree with Patrick Mahomes face palm emoji. Mm-hmm. when You know, he, he responded to a tweet about now it's going to be, you know, acceptable, legal, whatever the word is permissible to schedule two teams for short week Thursday games. But you know what? Two things. It's all about the fans and we, our first priority is health and safety. Yeah. Stop, 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 stop. And by the way, 
stop. <laughs> Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Um, Miles, let's go to the remaining five things on our agenda and we will go each one as a lightning round. Okay. Okay. Number one, Daniel Snyder's sale should close within two months. What's notable to you right now in six sentences or less about the Daniel Snyder, about Snyder moving closer to a sale? Uh, I will be one of the people who says hallelujah. That's one thing. Uh, (laughs) The next is that apparently he's not getting the price that he wanted, at least at first. There is maybe a notion of a bidding war because, as it's been reported, there are two groups that have bid $6 billion for the Washington commanders. And so we will see if there is a bidding war. And as Nan Pierce said on uh, the latest episode of Succession, I find all of this disgusting. (laughs) I, I will just make one quick point about Daniel Snyder. And I, it is only in America and only in the National Football League can someone over a 24-year span run one of the flagship franchises of the NFL into the ground and get a 700% increase in his sales price over that period of time. Only in America, only in the National Football League. Topic two, Roger Goodell's contract extension, first reported by Adam Schefter a week ago, is expected to be finished by May. Uh, Talking to Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, he said there's nothing standing in the way of a deal getting done by the May meetings. Uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, chairs the committee that's been working on that. So there's Roger Goodell is going to be the commissioner of the NFL through 2027. Yeah, and there's there's no surprise uh, from me on that either. Look, I mean, he successfully has piloted the NFL to new heights, right? They are making more money than ever before. They got through COVID successfully, right, when a lot of businesses, a lot of leagues did not. So I understand why they like Roger Goodell. They've got so many years of labor peace coming as well. There's no reason why he should not continue to be the commissioner when – he is the representative for all of these 32 owners. Miles, you sat at the table and listened to Kyle Shanahan speak. The 49ers during the week basically left no doubt that whenever Brock Purdy is healthy enough, he will be the starting quarterback of the team over Trey Lance. Absolutely no surprise there, but it's good that that sort of sort of Damocles isn't hanging over this team now. The proclamation has been made. Brock Purdy's the man. Yeah, and it's interesting because part of what Kyle Shanahan was saying is we've seen Brock Purdy play and we understand what he has done. And frankly, if you're Trey Lance, you just haven't played much football really since 2019. I mean, the pandemic basically canceled that season that they had at North Dakota State. They played play one game. I understand that. But I mean, you know, he was supposed to be the guy heading into 2022 when he got hurt. And so Kyle Shanahan said that Trey Lance understands he has eyes. He saw what Brock Purdy did last year. And so they will move forward as if Brock Purdy will be their starting quarterback, but they don't know yet when Brock Purdy is going to be healthy. So that's going to be something to follow throughout the next few months leading into the season. What did you think of Mark 
Davis telling Tashawn Reed of The Athletic, essentially that, and I'll read you his quote. He said he apologized to Derek Carr on his way out the door for not being able to build a winning team around him. I think Derek Carr maybe should have apologized for boycotting the last two weeks of the season, but that's a whole nother topic. Uh, here's Mark Davis's quote to Tashawn Reed. The only consistent thing with the Raiders for the last 11 years has been me. And the fact that we haven't won falls on me. There's no passing the buck, no pointing fingers. The buck stops here. End quote. Now, that's fantastic for Mark Davis to say that. It really is. And now what he has to do is he has to let Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels do this job. And we'll see what happens with doing this job. I'm one of the few people who happen to think, happen to think that the Darren Waller trade was a smart trade. First of all, you can't rely on him to stay healthy. And again, Dar Darren Waller is a great football player when healthy. But, you know, he's been hurt some significant amount. I think he's entering his age 31 year. So and I think the coach and the GM felt like we would rather have the 100th pick in the draft and the salary freedom for our cap to be able to do things that we couldn't do if Darren Waller was here. But be that as it may, I applaud Mark Davis for saying what every owner on a bad team should say. Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting too. I mean, it's funny because a lot of times guys don't say that. You don't necessarily hear that kind of accountability from yeah. an owner. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know, how candid that is and how frank that is. And it's true, right? I mean, that's something that we usually talk about when we're on the air. You know, you can't change the owner, right? And that's sometimes what the problem is. So I, I think Mark Davis is somebody that has run a successful sports franchise. Look at the Las Vegas Aces. I mean, he's in charge of that yeah. one too. So it's not like he's completely clueless when it comes to running an NFL team. And he's grown up around it. I think he understands football decently well, right? So we'll see if this latest iteration of a head coach and GM pairing can do it. But, you know, I, I, I do appreciate at least some level of accountability um, from an owner like that. I do. I sat with Pete Carroll at the NFC Coaches Breakfast for about 15 minutes. Very eloquent, by the way, on Bud Grant. It was cool. You know, a long time ago, Pete uh, was an assistant on one of Bud Grant's staffs, and that's how old Pete Carroll is. But anyway, we uh, we basically had a conversation about how he plans when Jamal Adams gets healthy, and no one knows exactly when that'll be, coming back from a shoulder injury. He really has not been whole for very long since he was traded for two ones to the Seahawks from the Jets. But it was interesting. He said he planned to play three safeties consistently. Uh, I said 25% of the snaps. He goes, more. And so, and I think one of the things that I appreciate about what Seattle has done this offseason, when they got Julian Love and Pete Carroll was, you know, really very, enthusiastic about Julian Love. And for people who don't know Julian Love, if you watch the Giants last year, every game, every game, he did four or five things, impact things to help that team win. He is a very good football player. And Carroll made this point. He goes, how many players do you think have ever in recent years played a thousand snaps on defense and 200 snaps on special teams? You know, more than more than both. He goes, that to me is incredible. And that just tells me what a great football player he is and an unselfish football player. So I think it'll be cool to see Pete Carroll and the the Seattle staff try to move some big players and playmakers around, including Quandre Diggs, who I think is a very underrated safety in the league. And I really look forward to watching that with the Seahawks.
Yeah, and they've brought back Bobby Wagner, and that's a pretty yeah. big deal. I mean, I, he was one of the best linebackers in the league last year for the Los Angeles Rams. It's nice, I think, to have that kind of reunion story. And frankly, you get Bobby Wagner back where he belongs, which is in the middle of that Seattle defense and leading that thing. So our last topic we'll do quickly, and because we're going to be overdoing it on the draft in the next three podcasts. Yeah. So the the draft is basically now four weeks from this week. As a matter of fact, four weeks from today will be draft Eve. And I think one of the interesting things that I heard at the draft or at the league meetings, because all the coaches are there. I asked a coach who picks in the top half of the first round and his team might pick a quarterback interested in a quarterback and has certainly studied the best quarterbacks. I said, how do you rank him? Because I know he has gone through tape on all of them. And he said, number one, Bryce Young. Number two, C.J. Stroud. Uh, number three, Will Levis. And number four, Anthony Richardson. And he said, the ironic thing is that Anthony Richardson could turn out to be the best or really good. But he said, what's really hard about Anthony Richardson is he started for one year and that is such an important position and you see guys who haven't started a lot of games in college and he mentioned he mentioned this you know you see that Trey Lance when he came into the 49ers you know struggled a little bit after having one full year of starting play at North Dakota State uh, and you obviously uh, now see this with Anthony Richardson. He won six games uh, in his college career. So we'll we'll get into all of that stuff in the coming weeks. But nothing about what I just said surprised me. And I think unless C.J. Stroud goes one, I think it's either going to be Bryce Young or Stroud going number one now. Likely that the next... A quarterback pick by Houston at number two will be whoever is left over there. Although there are some who think that they might shock the world and pick Anthony Richardson. But anyway, we'll see. Uh, but we'll get into that a lot more. Did you pick up any tidbits on the draft that you want to share, Miles? I, I got the sense that uh, if it's C.J. Stroud at one, then the Texans are going to be happy with Bryce Young at two. And if yeah. it's Bryce Young at one, then it's C.J. Stroud at two. They're going to be okay with whoever is um, there for them at number two overall. But I think the interesting thing about uh, what you just said about Anthony Richardson and not necessarily playing as much in colleges, and you mentioned Trey Lance too, it's the same kind of dynamic with Brock Purdy. Because he had so much yeah. starting experience at Iowa State, I mean, he was able to come in, and that was obviously a special situation when you're playing with the guys he was playing with on offense. But yeah. still, to come in and do the things that he did, there is something to the element of experience, I think, even you know if you're a guy picked in the seventh round or what have you. So it is going to be something interesting to see with Anthony Richardson. Miles Simmons, thanks so much for uh... – joining me before you head back to Los Angeles. I'll give you a, a quick little story about my movements over the next 10 days. Oh boy. I am leaving here today. I'm going to drive to San Diego and a f I'm going to go with a friend of mine to the San Diego Padres home opener fun. and just for fun. And then I'm going to fly to Seattle and our extended family is going to spend six days in Hawaii uh, celebrating uh, my daughter and her wife celebrating both of their 40th birthdays. So I will come to you live and in person from Oahu next week on the podcast. So let's see if I get a nice scenic view at some ungodly hour whenever we record this pod. So that's my that's my next week or so. How about you? 
Well, usually I'm the one who wins the location battle because I'm <laughs> so close to the beach, but I'm pretty sure you're going to beat me uh, next yeah. week for that. So that sounds awesome. I actually, so I'm going back to Los Angeles, as you said today, and then Saturday I will be going to Las Vegas for a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. And fly wow. back the next day. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. That's great. Well, you'll have fun. All right, Miles, listen, thanks a lot. And we appreciate uh, everybody joining us and listening to our meanderings about the National Football League at the league meetings. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Peter Caden Podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.